TurfNet University, a supplement to the TurfNet University webinar series. I'm John Redman. TurfNet University is brought to you by our friends at Brand. In this episode, we'll talk with Carl Danneberger of Ohio State University. As many of you know, Carl was diagnosed in March with COVID-19, and today he tells us about his experience and his recovery. Let's sit back and listen as Carl shares his story. Thank you first for agreeing to share your story with us. Yes, sure. Probably not the most exciting story I've ever shared, but uh, I'm pretty fortunate. So, so I'm uh, I'm happy to. As we see all this on the news every night, I'm not sure how many people actually know someone who's gone through what you have. You hear all these stories about other people, but it's always someone you don't know. Never yeah, ex- I, I know what you mean. Yeah, not now. so not only is it someone we know, but it's someone that we know from the business that we're all in. And I know you were in the hospital. I, re- I seem to recall the first mention I heard of this was a cryptic uh, tweet by one of your colleagues there at Ohio State who was trying to, I think, let everybody know what was going on while still not mentioning anything really specific and trying to be respectful of what you were going through. So when you were in the you were in the hospital, I believe, right around mid March to mid April, which was right when this thing was really starting to get serious and everything was starting to close down. When did you learn that you would had uh COVID nineteen? How did you find out? How was it diagnosed and what were the symptoms that you were experiencing that led you to the conclusion that something was obviously wrong? Yeah. um, Actually, a lot of it, you know, from firsthand experience, I don't remember a lot of it. And I pieced it together from my wife and my doctors and things like that. But uh, uh, if, if you look at March 16th, as the day that uh, was a Monday that I went into, uh, uh, my wife took me to the emergency room on uh, the recommendations of our primary doctor. And uh, uh, actually, if, if you back up from that Monday to the previous Wednesday, um, really, that's about the last thing I remember. I left work. I felt fine. And then... Uh, I uh, started to uh, get a fever, Um, uh, you know, uh, I was coughing, and uh, um, the fever got worse as the weekend uh, came, the 14th and 15th, and um, then I had real difficulty breathing, and uh, on the 16th, my wife called the... uh, primary care physician and they heard me and they said, you got to get him to the emergency room. So they, uh, my wife took me there. Did you go to Ohio state first? Yeah. Went to Ohio state, uh, hospital, which, uh, you know, what can you say? They saved my life. But, uh, um, I checked in the, um, I was admitted and it was about, uh, 48 hours later, they confirmed that I had COVID-19. They thought I did, and then they confirmed it about 24 to 48 hours later. And uh, 
but to give you an idea, it was like, uh, you know, we knew it was kind of common and heard, but, you know, I hadn't thought anything about it or, or, you know, we hadn't really done anything, uh, about it or didn't really know that much about it. And, uh, uh so, uh, I went in and, uh, I was, uh, intubulated and put on a ventilator almost, uh, within that, that 24 to 48 hours. And, um, uh, my wife, she actually, she came and, uh, visited me. I think the first, first couple of days, you know, the 16th or maybe the 17th or whatever. But then they shut everything down and um, she couldn't come. And then she was quarantined after uh, for 28 days um, in our in our house. So during this whole stay, she uh, she was quarantined and my sons couldn't even visit her. And uh, obviously nobody could visit me. And so I was on the ventilator. And, uh, for two weeks and then I woke up and, um, everybody, I was never put in a coma or anything like that because they said that, uh, um, I, they would talk to me or whatever. And I may make a gesture or something that, that I recognized it, but I don't remember any of it. And, uh, when I woke up, uh, two weeks later, um, uh, shoot, I kind of just went like, where am I? And, uh, I've said that probably multiple times and the doctor, they looked at me and it's been said before, but the doctor looked at me and said, Carl, you've been to hell and back and it's good that you're, you're home. And, uh, so for, and I guess it's pretty good that I don't remember those two weeks very well, but yeah, I, it was a full blown uh, coronavirus, you know, I had pneumonia, I had all this, I did all the treatments. Um, they tried about everything. Rules were changing and things like that, as I've learned uh, later. And, uh, um, you know, a lot, I woke, and then when I woke up, it just, uh, kind of started the road to the recovery. And, uh, um, I would say though, um, uh, uh, I think it was that weekend. Um, I went in on the 16th and I think around the 22nd, 23rd, that would have been the first weekend I was in the hospital it was probably the roughest, roughest, uh, uh, for my family and for me. And, uh, that's when they thought that, that I probably, I might not make it. So, uh, uh, very fortunate. And, uh, um, so, uh, yeah. And so what was, uh, kind of interesting was that, well, not interesting, but my wife, uh, she would hear from the nurses during the day and, uh, then the doctors twice a day and the last call would come at nine o'clock at night. And then my wife would, uh, called Pam Sherritt and then Pam would let the people in the department know um, 
what had ha- you know what was going on with me and then she tweeted out or put on Facebook or Twitter uh, my status along with uh, and then Dave Shetler would pick it up and add to it and uh, and I think that's how the word spread uh, of my condition and uh, um, yeah and I've, I've been friends with Pam for several years now at least I consider her a friend. I hope she, I hope yeah. she feels yeah, the same, she same way reciprocally. But, but I, I was bothering her on almost a daily basis through email just for updates. So that's how I was staying in touch with all this was directly through Pam. Pam, yeah. So, and there were times throughout some of her the conversations with her and it sounded like things were pretty dire. As you as you walk back through this in conversations with your family and the updates that, that your wife was receiving from the doctor in conversations with your doctor, is, is there something you can point to cause that tells us where along the line that first weekend maybe that they, what was like their worst case scenario? What were they thinking? Yeah, that um, that weekend around the 22nd or whatever, uh, they told my wife uh, to prepare that he's probably not going to make it. So, and uh, uh, so everybody, of course, I didn't know what was going on, and uh, uh, so uh, it's probably good that I didn't know what was going on, and. Uh, then I kind of turned around and they, you know, I, I can't point to any one treatment, but when they, when they, uh, they put me on remdesivir, the, uh, the drug, uh, it's had some positive news and, and test results on like helping people get out of the hospital quicker and all this. And, uh, uh, when they put me on that, whether it was due to that or just other factors, that's when I turned around, when it, things began to turn around. And um, uh, they they told me after that weekend, I, I kind of just, almost, you know, I didn't get great, but I got better. And um, uh, they were a lot more positive. And, uh, but that first weekend was a tough one. Sometimes they get kidded when I got out of the hospital by my neighbors and stuff, they asked me if, because they kind of knew it. They said, well, did you see the lights that first weekend? And I go, no, man, I didn't see any lights. Okay. Which is, <laughs> which, uh, uh, you know, I don't know if that happens or not. And, uh, uh, but, uh, kind of interesting. I, I was, I had like, real intensive dreams that when, even when I woke up, I thought they were real. And fortunately I didn't tell anybody about them for telling anybody because there were days that I had questions and I was living those dreams. Even when I like, I was awake and I had these questions. Thank goodness. I didn't, didn't ask any of the questions. And then after a few days, I realized this is crazy. Uh, I must've been dreaming that. And I told the doctors that, and they're looking at me, and they go, dreaming is good. It's when you're not, I don't know how they do studies and determine that, but 
they said that dreaming is good. It shows that you're like actively involved in, in, uh, or at least your body is, is trying to respond and fight. It's when you're not dreaming that you, that, uh, uh, issues can arise. So, so that was, that was a good sign. But, uh, I tell you, when I woke up, I didn't even know how I got there. Um, they had me in the glass room, a temporary, like, glass opening and closing door was uh, separated my room uh, from the hallway. And I was in ICU. And, uh, um, you know, you'd see people walk by. And I, I didn't even know I'd been in there for two weeks or over two weeks and it was like people coming by and clapping and and, uh, and cheer and smile and I'm going, what are they all doing this for? And it wasn't until I realized that, uh, what I'd gone through. And I think I was like the, uh, first or second person in with COVID-19 into OSU hospital. Um, so it's, it was pretty early on. Um, and so, uh, uh, it was kind of, yeah, it was, it was kind of crazy and interesting too. I saw all the changes, you know, the CDC, when it first started would have regulations, how to deal with, with people like me. And then that would change over time, you know, and, uh, um, uh, it was, I, I got a feeling, you know, they everybody was learning almost as you went you know, try this, we'll do this. But uh, good news is they learn pretty fast and uh, and got a lot of research and stuff like that. So I was in ICU, I think for maybe a week. Well, two weeks, obviously on, but when I came to, I was there for about another uh, week. and um, And then they moved me to the OSU hospitals are a series of buildings and stuff. They moved me to the uh, spinal and neck corridor type of uh, hospital. And uh, that's where they had all the COVID-19 patients. And or I decided that's where they were going to keep them all. And so I got moved there. Um, and, uh, you know, I was recovering and things like that. And then... Uh, once I got two negatives uh, for my testing, I got tested like all the time. You know, I sure. there for a while. I must have been the most tested guy in Columbus. But uh, um, interesting, you know, first time they tested me when I was awake or when I came to, it was negative, no COVID-19 virus. Then they tested me again a couple of days later and it was positive. And so I'd go to this negative positive positive negative type of uh diagnosis so finally i went to the doctors i go I, I feel better i feel fine you know i'm eating i'm talking why are these why does it keep showing this and he said that they the virus is still shedding itself and probably a lot of the viruses they were picking up and some of those positive tests were dead so so eventually i got two negatives in a row which is uh is where your so-called COVID-19 free of the virus. And uh, I was moved to uh, what we call Dodd Hall, which is rehabilitation. 
And uh, the whole goal, which was interesting, I didn't always know it, but it, the whole goal of of everybody was was to get me to uh, rehab or Dodd Hall. So that was what everybody said. Getting to Dodd Hall was the goal. And uh, um, so then I got there. I spent about a week. So I went in on March 16th. I was discharged. And I said it before, but my wife came by and I was discharged on April 16th. And we walked out of the hospital. And I, I consider that a big deal because when I woke up, I was so weak that I couldn't even push the button to call a nurse that I had like, no, I couldn't walk. I couldn't, uh, I didn't have any strength and all that. So that's one of the things, you know, um, in my case, I went from, um, the COVID-19 floor or whatever to rehab. And sometimes on the news, you'll see guys that, or, or, anybody who's been on, let's say, been on a ventilator or whatever, and then you see them discharged like three or four weeks later, and they're still in uh, in the bed or, or in a uh, on a gurney or something like that, leaving the hospital. Well, they're, they're going to rehab someplace else. All right. So um, it's just a, it's a devastating disease in my case and, and to people that get that full blown thing because uh well your body is uh is basically shot. And um how old are you called? So the rehab sixty five. You're right in that wheelhouse. Yeah, and I I have uh I have two two minor preconditions. So that's the other thing. And um which are uh, which are one hypertension and two is uh type two diabetes. I'm always kind of like on the border of that one, and uh, I think most uh, most of the people that have died and I, and I don't know all the numbers have probably been people. Well, they're people like me. You got preconditions and. Um, you're older. Not to say other people don't. That's one thing that always gets me. There's always, you know, down in Brazil, the biggest population that's dying is 28 to 35. So, you know, um, it's a it's a it's a crazy disease. But uh, uh, um, yeah, I. Uh, um, so yeah, it's it, it, yeah. Go ahead. No, so you you wake up after you've been in the hospital for two weeks. You have virtually no strength to do anything on your own. You don't know where you are, and you don't know how you got there, or obviously you don't know why you're there. Yeah. For what well, first when you woke up in that kind of condition, what was your first reaction? Yeah, um, yeah. When I woke up, uh, actually, there was a nurse in there, and I, she goes, "Do you know where you're at?" And and I looked at her, and and there was a window to my left, and I looked out, and it said, um, "A 
Ohio State hospitals on the side of the building. And uh, um, I turn back and I go, OSU hospitals? And she goes, good. <laughs> I go, okay. But if I hadn't seen that sign, I wouldn't have known. And then the thing, and then I think that was the big question is like, how did I get here? And, um, you know, what am I doing here? That was the thing. And, and they, uh, they kind of tell you and, you know, I go, okay. And actually they FaceTime my wife and she was like one of the first people I saw once I woke up. And, you know, when I woke up, I didn't have a headache. I didn't, it was like, I just woke up and which was strange. And, um, I was alert. Well, you know, I couldn't talk very well. or I had a raspy voice because the tubes had been down my throat, but, uh, um, they had, and you know what? We, I didn't know for it. Nobody really kind of, um, we never really talked about exactly what all happened. You know, the ventilator, they said you were on a vent. I was on a ventilator. I didn't even know what that was until I looked over and saw one sitting next to the bed. But, uh, um, uh, yeah, it was, it was strange, but I think the biggest question was like, how did I hear? And then, um, which has become the, I think, um, a question people ask me a lot is how did, how did I get it? And my answer is, I don't know. Um, I hadn't been out of the country. Um, you know, it could have been from students. It could have been, you know, maybe a, talking at a, a seminar or something like that, or just, just walking around. And, uh, I think that's, and then everybody looks at me and then they go, well, you must know where you got it. And I go, no, I don't. And I think that's kind of, uh, I think that's a scary thing is cause you, if you get it, I don't think you really know. Well, back then how you got it. You know, if, if you go out into a huge group now or, or something like that, and you're screaming and yelling and you get sick, you got a pretty good idea where you got it. But, uh, um, yeah, I, I had no idea where I got it. They tried everything. I was on like AIDS drugs at the beginning. I was on hydroxychlorine at the very beginning, uh, remdesivir, um, and the infectious uh, agents doctors came in and asked me specifically about that one. Um, and I said, and at the time I said, I think it worked because that's when I turned around. And they said, well, with some patients, it seems to work. With other patients, it doesn't seem to work. Um, so they, they, don't, they didn't really know. And actually with that drug, my wife, um, they sent it to the hospital and it didn't, wasn't addressed to OSU hospitals. It was addressed to her and she, they had to read like an eight page document to her and she had to agree to these things. And it was, it was still highly experimental. So I think they were trying a lot of things and, uh, actually I didn't, not until I was in recovery when the, when a psychologist came around, talked to me and they go, 
have you ever really sat down and gone over uh, uh, what happened to you? And I said, now um, I just kind of like, we've kind of been on the idea, let's move forward, not worry too much behind us. And she handed me the report or whatever, and I was reading through it or look, just glancing through it. And I thought to myself, holy cow, geez, all this, you know, this pneumonia, this and all this. And, and so it was pretty amazing, pretty, pretty good. They didn't tell me all that. I would have been depressed. But uh, 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 they tried a lot of different things. You know what? I'm not sure what worked and what doesn't. Right. So you get a visit from um, the psychologist. What was that all about? Well, they just check on it. It kind of comes through because um, when I when I went to rehab, I had both occupational and physical therapists. And then I had speech therapists, which included... Uh, um, kind of like psychologist things and uh um what there were reports coming out that the virus impacted your mental status and your memory and everything so uh they came in and and then they started giving me tests or whatever to test my memory my organizational skills things like that to see if there had been an impact like that I'd like to think there wasn't any, but you might get second opinions on that. Yeah, right. Pretty funny. You know, I did notice, though, you know, it improved over time. Even when I first came up, uh, when I woke up, I didn't, you know, you don't remember a lot. You don't remember things. But as time goes by, you start remembering again. So it's a pretty traumatic experience, they kept telling me. So one of the first people, probably a few hours after I woke up, in came uh speech therapist to me and I'm sitting there and she goes, we're, we're going to go over a few things. And I said, okay. And she, you know, they do this, like move your uh, tongue to the left and to the right. And I was just kind of like, you know, I just, I always said, I just kind of woke up and I still haven't figured out things. And, and I probably wasn't the most understanding person. And so I'm thinking to myself, geez, and then they would give me some ice chips if I did something right, you know, like I moved my tongue correctly or something. And I thought to myself, man, this is like some dog getting like a treat for every little treat for every little trick he does. And let me tell you, it's not the attitude to have. All right. Because I was on ice chips for the next four days. <laughs> they didn't give me any food. And I'm going, I said, and after those days, she came back in and boy, I was as nice as I could be and everything. And it's funny. I finally got to eat. And, uh, I always, you know, sometimes one bad habit I have is sometimes I can be a little sarcastic or a little like, how should I say stuff I say without really meaning it. And I learned real quick, they listen to everything you say. So um, I decided the best thing I could do is just answer the questions and not add any flavor to it. So uh, so I guess my mind was getting better. I realized all that was going on. So it was good. I mean, one thing I learned in the hospital, you know, you, you, you work at Ohio State or whatever, is all the doctors, administrators, staff, nurses, Man, they work as a team and they all work hard. And I was always impressed by that, how they worked as a team. And 
and helped everybody, especially during this time with all these patients. And, uh, uh, you know, I always said, you know, if it wasn't for OSU hospitals, I wouldn't be alive. So uh, um, nothing but great people there. And I'm sure that great people at a lot of hospitals. So first day I was in rehab, the doctor came around and he was, oh, shoot, I wish I could remember his name, but he basically really kicked off and started the rehab program at Ohio State. So he was he was older and stuff. And he came in and he goes, hey, doctor, how you doing? And, you know, we talked about the university and all this kind of stuff. And uh, he goes, and I was kidding him. And, and I said, you know, my wife said, well, Carl, maybe you ought to think, of, this might be a good time to think about retirement. And he looked at me and goes, why the hell would you want to do that? <laughs> I, go, okay. I go, hey, man, I'm just kidding, man. But uh, he was he was pretty amazing. And uh uh, worked all the time and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, they're just great people there. But uh, um, yeah, sometimes what I would say didn't go over with the same kidding I thought it would. Then when I was getting discharged, about three days before I was getting discharged, uh, it's kind of funny. When the physical therapist signed me off so there weren't any alarms on my bed or in my chair that I could actually go use the restroom or the bathroom on my own without like having somebody come and help me was like the biggest thrill that was like wow this is like my biggest day and uh right during that time they came and uh uh, i asked if i'd give blood and i said sure i'd give plasma and uh right before i got discharged they wheeled me over to the james cancer center and uh, I gave uh, plasma. I did that over the next, I think, six weeks, four times. I think there's a limit how many times you can do it. And uh, um, so that was, a, you know, I said, any way I can help you guys. So I guess that's a, a small way to give back. So then I got home, you know, it's been recovery. Everybody's been great. I mean, I, First week, I, I didn't realize um, how much this industry, like, well, I didn't know when you have a lot of friends in this industry, how many people care about you. And, and I saw that through all the emails and phone calls and all the cards that were sent to me. Um, they really touched me. And I still have the cards. I still look through those cards. And, uh, I kind of kid my wife goes, geez, Carl, I didn't know you like, I didn't know everybody knew you. And I started laughing, you know, because, you know, you work and you're around everybody. And to tell you the truth, I didn't either. It was, uh, it was, it was, it was extremely touching. And um, so when I got out, my goal was to get back for summer session to teach. And so I made that. um, And, so now I would say I'm most of the way back. Um, I have a few minor things. I have to deal with uh, cardiologists, some heart issues, but they, I think they're minor. And then some 
rehab things with my right hand with feeling in it and it just has to do with nerve compression from laying in the ventilator and uh so i'm in great shape and uh actually i haven't hit any golf balls but i've been swinging the clubs so uh so that feels pretty good um yeah taking part uh, the world's change all these zoom meetings kind of uh are getting old but uh um yeah i think everybody's over uh, that yeah i think so you know it's kind of like geez you know it's like regular meetings get tired of them i'm doing good back at it as much as you can be back at it of course the university still under emergency yeah have they released a plan for uh back to school yet for the next school year yeah well uh, Students are going back. The plan hasn't been totally worked out. I think it's a lot of things. It's like a work in progress. Um, I know for us, for example, uh, well, just another thing is all the labs during this time through April and May at universities and other places, unless you were doing COVID work, you were shut down. That ranged from cancer research, to engineering, to agriculture, unless you got special, special exemptions. And um, so now, for example, there's a four stage step or four stages we go through to reopen up our labs. We're beginning stage three of lab opening. You have to come up with a plan for, for how you're dealing with people or graduate students and technicians all coming back into the lab. And right now, it's like one person, you have to schedule, right now, it looks like one person is allowed into a lab. And I'm sure that'll adjust, but um, we're going through these steps and uh, uh, re-justification. I still can't go to my office. I was allowed one visit to my office, or I shouldn't say I, faculty, whatever staff, were allowed one visit since the university closed down and you had to get written permission to go to your office to get what you needed. And then after that, you're done. And like for me, I went once, got permission, and uh, I haven't been back since, and that was in May. And so that's kind of a problem, especially when you have a lot of stuff in, in your office. But it's, it's just the new, the new, I guess, the new world. I'm sure that they got some of the football players back. I don't know how the informal training's going. Um, but they haven't assigned seats yet for the coming fall, if they're having games or if they'll have fans or I don't know. So um, there are plans for reopening and things like that, but they're still working on a lot of the details within those plans. There's so much conflicting information that we all hear every day. If you get it, can you get it again? Some say you can, some say you can't. We, I don't think definitively anybody knows yet. When this next school year starts, how eager will you be to just jump right back into the classroom? Um, yeah, that's, that's a good question. There have been uh, limitations on have been proposed layouts like for teaching or faculty going back into the classroom. And generally where 
right now where I think that stands is for for a better term, face-to-face with students, they have to be really small classrooms, okay, just because of the spacing and stuff like that. And so whereas face-to-face, you're going to have very few students. Uh, but the big classes still going to be um, taught from a distance is the term they're using. And so uh, uh, in and and I saw some of that through my my visit with with the hospital, like being in the hospital, like when I came out and or you know while I was going through it, I would go, hey, like, what about me? You know, I've like I've taken this virus and and I've been hit the hardest and I'm still around. And that's what they liked about my plasmas. My antibodies were so high or dense or whatever. And initially they said was, you don't have anything to worry about. All right. You are like the least. And you know what? Over time, that kind of changed. It would go to, well, we're, yeah, we still think you're in pretty good shape, but we really don't know. And then it was, we don't know how long these antibodies are going to last. And uh, can you get reinfected again? Um, maybe. So you're right. You know, I, I, they're not a, I don't think there's a clear definition of what's going on. And so I'm, you know, I'm still, um, you know, under normal times or under normal infections, you would think I'd be like the safest person, like in the face of that virus. But that doesn't seem to be the case or people aren't saying, hey, go go out and do what you want to do. Nobody's saying that. And so uh, um, I'm extremely cautious. I'll do most of my teaching by a distance mannerism. I'll try to minimize my contact. Uh, you know what? I'll try to minimize my contact with people as much as I can. So if that means going in when I need to be in at off hours or whatever, that's what I'll do. But uh, you know what? I think everybody's nervous in the university and stuff, especially with students and things like that, are going back. Uh, honestly, uh, I'm not quite there yet. Okay? <laughs> that's the sure. best way to say it, John. Uh, the whole idea eventually we'd all be infected, you know, that eventually maybe that's the end result. We all become infected to the, to the virus. And then through uh, antibodies, that's how we become kind of herd mentality type of immune. But you know what, if you can get reinfected, uh, that doesn't hold up very well either. And um, I think a lot has to do with testings, you know, and, and, and knowing this virus, I guess the, uh, I guess the good news, the virus doesn't seem to mutate at not like AIDS does or, or whatever. So I think if they do come up with a vaccine, it'll be, uh, it'll be a pretty long lasting one, but yeah, you know, John, I don't know. I, I watch and you get mixed messages all the time. And I think that's the problem. It's like, how can you do stuff when you don't, when, when people are doing different things, but, uh, 
you know, if you've been at home, and I, I'll use Dublin, Ohio as an example, but, you know, around my neighborhood and stuff, if you've been home um, since the start of this, you probably haven't heard of anybody being infected or anything's going on. So you got to wonder about, uh, um, you know, whether it's that bad or not. And you talk to somebody else um, and uh, it's like, uh, oh, yeah, you know, like my accountant get my taxes done. I called him and, and he goes, yeah, he said, I've had four or five clients like you, Carl, some haven't made it. And it's like, oh, wow. Okay. And, uh, so you're bouncing around, kind of do these things. Um, I still haven't gone out to eat anywhere. Right. In Dublin, is that, is that in Franklin County or are you in Delaware or? It kind of split through that, but it's still Franklin County. Yeah, okay, which is easily the hardest hit area of the state. Yeah, and uh, and then we got the tournaments coming up in a couple weeks in July. And the second's going to have fans. That's what they're saying right now. So, so, but the first one won't. And then the, I guess the confusing thing, and maybe I'm wrong, you probably know better, but the tournament that follows the memorial will have no fans. Is that the case? Yeah, I th- right now I think it's the only one of the books that has received any sort of dispensation. And Okay. And that had to come, you know, it's not a tour thing. I think the request for that came directly from uh, the folks at Muirfield. Yeah. And was... You know, that was something they had to go to Governor DeWine specifically for. And he was the one yeah. who, as far, the, the way I understand it, he's the one who actually had to officially sign off and say that that's okay, given the fact that you can follow these guidelines. So I want to go back to April when you came out of the hospital. What was that moment like when you saw your wife in person for the first time in a month? Oh, it was, it, it was, it was pretty emotional for me when you really think about it. Cause you know what, uh, um, I'd see, I was fortunate I saw her on FaceTime and we had that, but to see her, um, and she'd gone through the things and the, we just hugged in the hospital and, uh, it told me well on that day she took me to the hospital. I said, Oh, let's just wait another day see if I get better and you know but she didn't and she took me down there so you know what yeah she saved my life too and uh it was just uh it's hard to explain what it's like it's like geez I I'm I'm finally going home and uh um yeah it was pretty emotional yeah in retrospect I probably should have asked you to have her on here with us because you know for you to you're sitting in the hospital and you're getting everything firsthand. And essentially for the first half of your stay, you were really kind of unaware of it in the first place. Yeah. But, but to be so powerless and so far away had to be especially, and and I think that's a part of this, that a a part of the story that's probably not told enough is that the people who are at home waiting for their loved ones to return, it has to be, equally if not more difficult for them yeah i uh the doctors i would go um 
well, you're going to like something would come up or they, this test didn't go as well. I said, you're going to have to call my wife and let her know because she's probably not going to believe exactly what I'm saying. She wants to hear from uh, the source and uh, they go, we know um, your wife uh, uh, is extremely strong when we talked with her and all that. And I actually had one doctor when I was on the ventilator say to me, he goes, I think your wife knows more about ventilators than I do. And because she asked me these questions and has done the work and, and you're right. I mean, when you can't go see somebody or you can't talk to, I mean, obviously she, uh, she talked to friends. She talked to her minister a lot and stuff during, during the tough times. So yeah, you know what? Um, I think it, we did do an interview for uh, local TV here right, when I got that. out and they called, yeah, they called me and said, I said, okay. And then he um, started talking to me and said, well, you know, same thing like you did, you know, what were your symptoms? How did you feel? And I go, man, you're going to have to talk to my wife. Like, I don't remember any of that. And, and so the next thing I know, she's like, she's the primary focus of the interview. Um, and then, you know, uh, like my sons and everything supporting, but you know, they worried and I think they said to my wife, do you think dad got it from us? And, uh, you know, you couldn't get tested or anything. And I think that, that bothered them for a while. And you don't know what goes through people's minds when you just don't know how you got it or, or where you could have got it. So that was kind of. That was kind of devastating to me to hear that um, once I got out. And uh, so it's pretty, it was pretty emotional. Yeah. Those few, first few days home were pretty emotional for me and for everybody else. I still couldn't see my sons. I couldn't see that because they were in quarantine. So I think that's one of the tough things with this disease. And this virus too is how rapidly it spreads and and how you can may not affect you and then yet maybe you pass it on to your uh, family members or whatever that's got to be devastating i will say this though you know uh when i was in there and then i finally saw people like in my my situation you know, the total full-blown ventilators and tubulations, whatever, pneumonia, everything. And then they've been able to, like, overcome it. So um, at one point, you don't you don't get too much because, you know, so many people have died. And But the second thing is there's still hope, man, you know, like sure. trying to, like, I made it, you know, I made it. Yeah, who would think I would get it? I still, you know, I mean, I wasn't. Actually, the first two people, I think, here that were in Ohio State, there was another professor that came down with it. And uh, I think they said he had contacted it outside the country or something like that. But in my case, it was like, you know, I don't know. So So I, I saw pictures of you. You know, you did some of these other interviews. When you got out, obviously, you had lost a tremendous amount of weight while you were in the hospital. Yeah. How, how much did you lose? And when you got out, what was, what was it that, what was like the, the one thing, 
that you really missed eating more than anything else when you got out. It's like, I have to have fill in the blank. Um, I lost 25 pounds. Okay. And, um, and not uh, a big guy anyway to start with. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't overweight or anything like that. So it wasn't, uh, so I don't think I'd weighed that much since maybe I was, uh, 15 or something, 16. I was pretty light. <laughs> and you know what? I, I didn't even have a belt I could like tighten down to keep my pants up. There were times I'd kind of like look at myself like in the mirror and you see your belt or whatever and you'd go, God, it looked like that 90 year old grandfather. But uh, um, <laughs> I don't know whether it's good news or whatever, but about, I put about almost all that weight back on. And so I feel good and everything. And there has been some quotes or whatever. I tell you what, this is terrible. But, man, the first thing when I was in the hospital was I'd give anything for a glass of ice cold water. When I was eating ice chips, and that was one thing. But when I got out, and I haven't had one for years, it was that, boy, I'd love to have uh, a Whopper sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Can I have that Whopper? And uh, I don't know. They're they're probably not too good for you. And I don't think with the, with the stuff I was doing. But uh, yeah, that'll get that weight back the, on you in a hurry. Yeah. Good news is uh, about a month after that, maybe five weeks after that, I did have uh, a Whopper sandwich. So yeah. That's kind of what I would think, and I, you know, you don't like to say that. I, at the when when I was asked that a long time ago, I didn't exactly say that, but that's what I was thinking. I'd love to have a Whopper. Did it live up so, to the expectation? Yeah, it was so good, and you know, and it was still, you know, you're locked down. They weren't serving anything, and you had to like move around and do it. And uh, actually, uh, I was down in Xenia, Ohio, when I had that Whopper. I had my son and I in our cars with some other people had driven down there to uh, uh, basically for a car cruise in our old cars. And, and my son, and I go, God, I, I was looking at this Burger King and I go, I got to have lunch here. <laughs> so it was like, <laughs> so I got him one and uh, he said to me, he goes, God, this was good. I go, you can't tell me how good this tastes. So. Of all so, things, uh, yeah. that, was, that was not what I was expecting. <laughs> and uh must have been something stored in the back of my mind that came popping out because I don't think I did. I, before that, I hadn't eaten a Whopper in years. So, Well, Carl, I'm glad your story had such a happy ending, and I appreciate you taking some time to share it with us today. Well, thanks, John. You know, uh, have everybody stay safe. And be aware that those are my key points. So. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. 
Chumba. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.